This is DiPietro, Canty, and Rothenberg. I did want to touch uh, base with uh, our next guest who joins us now, who is uh, Rich Samini, who, uh, co- of course, covers the Jets for uh, New York, uh, ESPNNewYork.com. Rich, thanks for uh, popping on with us on a Memorial Day. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gordon. Happy Memorial Day. Yeah, same to you. Oh, okay. So let's get to the Jets. Well, let's start with Flacco because that one kind of seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, w- w- did that surprise you as much as it surprised, I guess, me? Uh, not at all. The timing was a little surprising. I-, I knew the Jets were interested in Flacco. I just didn't think they'd move on him so quickly because he had surgery in early April. He had that neck surgery, and I knew it was going to be until at least around September 1st before he was healthy. So the timing was surprising that they did it so quickly, but uh, they have some good uh, medical intel on him, and they feel pretty confident that he'll be uh, cleared for contact at some point in early to mid-September. So, you know, there is some risk involved because we know right now, as we speak, it could change, but the season is starting, what is it, uh, the 13th or something right around there. So he may not be ready for the first game. I don't think he's going to play in the preseason. So there's some variables in there. But overall, I thought it was a good move for the Jets because they needed an experienced backup for sure. Yeah, I was stunned by, and look, maybe this is just my own small circle, uh, and, and there's not a lot of positivity on Twitter to begin with, but I was stunned at amount, the amount of negativity surrounding that. I mean, the Jets basically lost three games, had no chance of winning three games last year because Luke Falk, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, he really had no business starting an NFL game. This is a guy who has not only started games, has won a Super Bowl, I know he's on the downside of his career, but the drop-off from one to two last year was far greater than what you would think if Flacco was healthy. The drop-off from one to two would be this year. Well, really, with Flock, he was a third guy. We tend to forget about Trevor Simeon. Oh, right, yeah. I, I, I his, his time was so brief. He got hurt about a quarter and a half into his first start. But, uh, you know, Trevor was not impressive in that game that he was playing when he got hurt. And frankly, he wasn't even that impressive in training camp. So, you know, who knows? Maybe it would have been more of the same. But uh, I think, look, I, I'll throw this out at you. The Jets have lost 11 straight games in which their backup quarterback has had to start. You know, the last time a Jet backup actually won a game was going all the way back to 2016 when Bryce Petty won that really ugly game in San Francisco, which which actually Colin Kaepernick started that game for the 49ers. And the Jets pulled out a game, and that's the last time a backup quarterback won a start for them. So they absolutely needed a veteran guy. Flacco clearly is not what he was a few years ago, but he still showed some positive signs last year. He completed 65% in Denver. That was a career high. I know he just got pounded behind a really bad offensive line last year, and they lost three of his eight starts on last-second field goals. So instead of two and six, he easily mm-hmm. could have been five, you know, five and three as a starter there. So, uh, you know, it's a different kind of quarterback than Darnold. So it's almost like they're going to have two different offenses if he has to play. But I thought it was a good move because they couldn't have gone into the season with uh, David Fales as their primary backup. Yeah, not a great sign that, I mean, they've had 11 games where the backup has had to play in, you know, what, three years. That's not a great sign either. Yeah, well, durability is an important, uh, it's really an important quality for your starting quarterback. And Darnold has missed three games, you know, in each of his first two seasons. 
last year was a was a fluke. I mean, you know, you don't expect Mono to be one of the reasons that your quarterback <laughs> is not playing. But look, the Jets are going to, you know, they see themselves as a contender this year. This is not a, a rebuilding year. And when you see yourself that way, you need to take as much, buy as much as insurance as, as possible. If something happens to Darnold in the middle of the season, you know, you put Flacco in and you know that he's, you know, he can win games for you. And in fact, I just read this stat this morning. I didn't even know about it. I saw it in Peter King's column, you know, on NBC Sports, Flacco's career record against the AFC is 7-0, and AFC East, rather. So he's had success against these teams. And so, you know, you assuming he's healthy, there's always risk there. But if he's healthy, it's a good move. Uh, now, Governor Cuomo, we're talking with Rich Cimini here, uh, of course, who covers the Jets for ESPNNewYork.com. Governor Cuomo announced that uh, teams can return to their facilities. Obviously, that doesn't involve the Jets and Giants because – Obviously, they train in Jersey. But from the people you talk to, do you get a sense when that that announcement might come for them? For Jersey? Well, yeah. I mean, I just know as much as anyone, you know, is watching the news and sees what they're saying. They're probably a couple of weeks behind New York, I would guess, you know, mm. but uh, that's on a, you know, that's on a state level uh, decision. And I think it'll come at some point. Now, teams around the league are allowed to have uh, minimal amount of personnel in the building. And when I say minimal, uh, I mean like more on the business side, you know, you know, staffers, marketing people, PR people, those people are allowed in on a limited basis right now and, and rehabbing players, but there's no coaches and no players allowed. They haven't, the, the league is trying to create a level playing field and maintain as much competitive balance as possible. So I think all teams will get the go-ahead at the same time whenever that will be, but I don't see that being for for at least another week or two. All right, let's get to Jamal. Obviously, that was the uh, big story uh, last week and continues to be as his uh, contract talks kind of hit an impasse. Uh, How much of a big deal is this in the now, or is this much more of just like the dance you do in a negotiation? Well, I mean, it depends. You know, if you're a Jet fan, it's a big deal because he's your player. He's your star player. He's the best player on your team. I mean, looking at it from a more of a global perspective, a league-wide perspective, this happens a lot, you know, in the league. Uh, the Cowboys are going through it now with Dak Prescott. They went through it last year with Zeke Elliott, who uh, held out all the training camp and gets a deal done basically on the eve of the uh, regular season opener. So I do think this Jamal thing will be prolonged. I don't think this is going to end anytime soon. Uh, both sides, you know, have strong cases because the Jets don't want to – I get the very strong impression that the Jets do not want to do a deal this year. They'd rather wait till next year and because they have them two years – under team control plus a franchise year. So you can say even three years or even four years if you want to use two franchise tags. Uh, and Jamal feels like he's earned, he's eligible for a new deal and he feels like he's earned it. He's certainly one of the better young defensive players in the league. So I just don't think it's going to be a quick resolution. I, I could see this become being a, a really, you know, uh, big headline kind of story through the next couple of months, right up until the regular season opener. But, I mean, at the end of the day, really, what leverage does he have? What what leverage does any player in his situation have? Well, he's got no leverage because of what I just said. The Jets can hold him for four years. The only leverage in, in a position like that is to withhold his services. Now, is he going to not show up for training camp? Well, the rules are pretty strict under the new CBA. So what happens 
If he doesn't show, he gets fined 40000 a day if he doesn't report to training camp. And the teams can waive that at the end. Uh, you know, they changed that rule a little bit, but per player in Adams's category in his draft year, the team can still waive that amount. At You know, you see teams do that. You know, they'll give a guy a new contract and they'll say, oh, you know, that, that 500000 that you've accumulated in fines, don't worry about it. But in Adams's case, they have the right to not waive that. So it could be pretty costly if he stands at a training camp. And he also loses an accrued season toward free agency, which I really don't think is that big of a factor in his case because I don't think Jamal Adams, Adams is ever going to get the right. free agency. You know? So I don't think that's a huge deal. It's more the money. Uh, that's the only leverage he has is, is to make a lot of noise you know, about being upset and not showing up. And whether that would get the Jets to budge or not, you know, I tend to doubt it because they have so much contractual leverage in this particular case. We're talking with Rich Samini here, 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Would it ever get to a sense with Jamal where he would start looking at other teams as a possibility to force a trade? I think Jamal's been looking at other teams for a while, to be quite honest (laughs) with you. (laughs) You know, I I think he really, I mean, I think his team, his number one choice is to play for the Cowboys. You know, he grew up in Dallas. You know, he still has, you know, his parents still live in Dallas. So, I think that that would be his team that he wants to play for. And, uh, you know, I think, and I, you know, I haven't talked to him in a while, but I, I think, you know, he, he'd like to get a long-term deal with the Jets. He has said that, or, you know, early in the offseason, he said that he wants to stay in New York. But if that's not possible, I think he'd totally be open to a trade. And knowing Jamal and his representatives, I'm sure they have a, a pecking order of teams they've already uh, identified as places he'd like to go. Uh, you have covered the Jets, obviously, a long time, Rich. Does this have a very similar feel to Darrell Rivas? It does. You know, he, Jamal's the best player they've had since Rivas, the best homegrown player. And, uh, you know, Darrell held out in 2010, and the whole world saw it because it was a big storyline on Hard Knocks, and it made for really, really compelling uh, Hard Knocks that summer. And he ended up getting a deal. The Jets caved at the end, and they ended up – sweetening his deal a little bit and uh you know and and the other similarity and i wrote this in my notes column yesterday on espn.com is we have a unusual situation a similarity in that jamal's father played in the league we all everybody in new york knows that you know his dad george adams was a number one pick of the giants at 85 and so football's been in the family business for a while and it was really the same with Darrell rebus because his uncle sean gilbert uh, was a close advisor to him and played in the league in a long time and had some nasty contract disputes. So theirs was the football business as well. So I think they're coming at it from a different perspective than, you know, your average player, because this has been their lives. They've grown up in this environment and they're getting advice from people who know the cutthroat nature of the NFL. And so it's, uh, you, it's interesting that you brought that up because there is that parallel between the two situations. If I told you that Jamal, if the Jets came to Jamal and said, you have to wait a year, we'll make you the highest paid safety, but you have to wait a year. Do you think Jamal would rather wait the year and stay with the Jets or get the deal now and go someplace else? Uh, I mean, I, I, from the people I talk to, my sources tell me that the Jets are not interested in trading him. You know, okay. so... 
Uh, but I mean more look, from Jamal's point of view. Do you think he would be more pushing towards getting, you know, a find another team and find a suitable deal if he was told he has to wait a year? Because it seems like that's – it's not really an issue of money for the Jets. It's more of an issue of timing. Well, money is always a factor. Let's, yeah. not, let's not forget about that. And the one the one thing you should mention here, the, the variable that we didn't even know a couple of months ago was the pandemic and the impact it's going to have on NFL revenue – uh, I don't think we know what the salary cap is going to look like next year. So uh, money is – now, I'm told they haven't even gotten down to talking about specific financial parameters yet in this deal. So, But money is always a factor, no matter, no matter what deal you're talking about. But I think if the Jets told Jamal, hey, we're not interested in doing anything until next year, I think he would request a trade. That's just my own personal opinion, um, whether the Jets grant that request. I doubt it. I think he'd probably end up playing. What's he going to do? Sit out a year and mm. and lose the entire season? I don't think he'd want to do that. Uh, you know, it's different from the Le'Veon Bell situation in Pittsburgh. So I, I think he would uh, he would play and probably be unhappy. And uh, you know, they would uh, revisit the situation next year. But the, you know, like I said, the Jets have the leverage here. I'm, maybe they would bend on their position if they were able to sign him to a really team-friendly deal. You know, let's, there's a ton of posturing going on here, Gordon. Like, just with any high-level negotiation, right. there's always posturing going on from both sides. So, that you know, the Jets might be thinking, oh, telling people, oh, we're, we're never, we're never going to trade this guy. We'll, you know, but look, things change. Never say never in the NFL. And if the Jets are saying we don't want to sign him until next year, Hey, maybe Jamal lowers his demands and just wants to get a long-term deal done, and the Jets find that to be a good team-friendly opportunity, and they say, okay, let's do a deal. So never say never in the NFL. I've seen so many strange things happen, and uh, I never thought Revis would get traded, and sure enough, he did. So you just never know. Never say never in the NFL, especially if you're covering the Jets. Yes, we've seen very, very strange things happen, and uh, so there's a long list of things that you were, we've, we've been shocked at over the last 10 or 20 years, and so uh, you just never know how this is going to play out. But I do think this is going to be a long story. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Rich, thank you for uh, popping on with us uh, on a Memorial Day and uh, giving us a few minutes about the Jets. You bet. Anytime, Gordon. Have that is Rich Samini, of course, has covered the uh, New York Jets, does so for ESPNNewYork.com and all the uh, different uh, permutations of uh, things going on with them. DiPietro, Canty, and Rothenberg, weekdays at 10 on 98.7 ESPN.